we got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson and Nick Springer on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Hey, what's happening? Welcome into another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. Hey. And on today's show, we're going to be joined by Brian Haney, the voice of the Jayhawks at 340. We've got another segment of Into the Transfer Portal, catching up with maybe some names you should get to know or what's been going on with KU in the Transfer Portal as far as maybe who they're searching for out there. We've got a KU Club interview with KU Sailing, brought to you by Johnny's Tavern. Lie detector test, Florida man Mad Libs, KU women's basketball wins last night, moves on to the NIT finals, so we'll recap that game. And also, we've got a KU women's basketball ticket giveaway. We've got a bunch of tickets to give away for the game upcoming on Saturday. Um, so we're going to do a ticket giveaway at the end of the 4 o'clock hour that you'll want to tune in for. Opening up the top of the show today by opening up some fresh wounds, because uh, we're yeah, gonna why, be, why are you doing this? I don't know. I mean, off-season content, looking for <laughs> stuff to talk about. Um, no, but I, I think today what we're going to do is we're going to talk about the most painful second-round outs in KU basketball history and where this one would kind of rank among that pantheon of second-round games. Yeah. So my only rule here, and, and we'll go over all the second-round losses, not necessarily super in-depth, but then we'll talk about which is the most painful and why. Uh, it has to be since the tournament went to 64 teams, which was the 1984 to 85 season. Makes sense. Yeah. Makes sense. You know, I know it's like, you know, the second round in the 60s could be like the Elite Eight. Exactly. <laughs> so you don't want to lose, you know, if you lose in the second round there, it's a little different. <laughs> a little different. Uh, so the first time they lost in the second round was 1985. That was the very first tournament. And uh, wow. I, I think that kind of sucks. You know, what's interesting here is we, we go through these second round losses. A majority of them, outside of like two, Kansas is like a top three seed. So this isn't the case of like a team who was, you know, an 11 seed and they lost in the second round after upsetting their six seed <laughs> where it's like, yeah, well, that's pretty expected. Most yeah, like, of these. Like what if we did a most painful second round yeah. losses for UMBC? Right. It, it doesn't exist. It's like, can you really be mad after you upset a one seed in the first round? Uh, with KU, that makes it more painful because you're expecting stronger seasons. You have better teams, right? So 1985, they were a three seed. And the bracket opened up a little bit. They got to play an 11 seed Auburn, but they lost 66-64. Uh, KU was down 61-54, like under two minutes left. Climbed back to within one. At this point, though, there was no three-point line. So they kept getting down like three, and then they'd make a shot, and they'd be down one, but there was nothing they could do. <laughs> it's like being down four nowadays, and then you hit a three. Um, so then they foul Auburn with four. So they need, with four seconds left, down by one. They need Auburn to miss. They miss the first, then hit the second. So it's a two-point game. Danny Manning, freshman Danny Manning, gets a shot from the elbow at the buzzer. No good. Pain. 
Now, I, I think another part of this is we're discussing these second round losses that makes the games more painful. It's not just if you were upset or if you feel like your team had a real shot to make a Final Four run or win a title. It's what seniors, what players are you saying goodbye to? Yeah. Is that their yeah, last sure. game? Yeah. Uh, Colorado coach Tad Boyle was the only senior on that year's team, so maybe a little easier to stomach. Okay, yeah. Um, and then they also, the, the other part of it too is like when you lose, like in 2011 when Kansas lost in the Elite Eight to VCU, it's like, man, then you would have got to play an eight seed in the Final Four. Part of it is like, what does the path look like? They would have had to play a two seed North Carolina, and then if they won that, you would have got Villanova in the Elite Eight who ended up winning the title. So I don't know how upset you could have felt about that one. Yeah. Yep. A little bit, though. I will say, uh, if you go back and watch that game, because they have it on YouTube, it's really funny to watch, without the three-point line, how condensed the court is. It's legitimately like five guys in the paint on defense. <laughs> it's incredible. Incredible. Uh, so well, yeah, because there's no reason to defend the perimeter, no. because it's the same amount like, of points as if do you... Do it. Yeah. Yeah, take a 20-foot <laughs> shot. I don't care. It's wide open, but... Even if you shoot it at 35% from three, like 35% on twos is not good. <laughs> um, okay. 1990. This one might be up there for some people. This was Roy's first year in the NCAA tournament. KU was 30-4 and four headed in, so this was a really good team. And they kind of snuck by Robert Morris in the first round, 79-71, a little closer than you would have liked. Uh, cause, so 1988, they win the title, 89 postseason ban, 90 with Roy, they get in the tournament. And this was a back-and-forth game with UCLA. Um, Kevin Pritchard actually hit two free throws to put KU up 70-69 to 69 with 28 seconds left. UCLA misses a layup. So you have a chance to get the ball up one, but they get the offensive rebound, they get fouled. They make the two free throws, both by a freshman, and KU ends up losing. So you ended up saying goodbye to some players who were key contributors on the 88 title team with like Pritchard, Jeff Geldner, Rick Calloway was on the team. He was a good player. Um, so that makes that one a little more sad and because you get upset. But yeah. I don't think this is the answer because there's some more obvious ones. Okay. 1992. Number one seed Kansas loses to number nine seed UTEP. At the time, the UTEP head coach, um, Don uh, Haskins, Hastings. Oh, gosh. Okay. Uh, Anyway, he was the head coach. Don Haskins. Sorry. Don Haskins was the coach of the 1966 UTEP team that at the time was known as Texas Western. That was the first all-black starting lineup to win the title that beat Kansas in the uh, regional final in the game that they said that JoJo White was out of bounds when many KU fans will argue the case on that. Um, So anyway, it's the same coach, and UTEP gets them again. For whatever reason, KU's had trouble with UTEP historically. Hmm. But KU was a one seed. They entered 27-4. and They were an 11.5-point favorite. And by the way, guess who Kansas beat in the first round that year? Who? Howard. Wait. Howard was Kansas's 16 seed. Wait, what? They crushed them, 100-67, and then they lost in the second round. So point being, hmm. Kansas loses to Arkansas this Gotta year. Got to avoid round. Howard. Yes, avoid Howard at all costs. Dodge Howard round. at all costs. Um, at this point in time, the shot clock was 45 seconds. So it wasn't reduced till 35 so, till 1994. That's so lame. I know. So UTEP was just taking, they were bleeding the game out as much as possible. Kansas actually hit a shot to, like UTEP kind of stayed in the lead majority of the game. KU got down two with 16 seconds left, but UTEP just kept hitting their free throws. Um, and what sucks, so you lose Alonzo Jameson, and also Kansas would have played a four-seed Cincinnati, then a six-seed Memphis. That would have been their path to make the Final Four. 
So pretty doable. Yeah. That one sucked. 1998. This is the answer for, I think, probably most people if you are age 30-ish and over. This was the end of the era for that great group, great group of guys. Rafe LaFrance, Billy Thomas, uh, those guys left after the year. Paul Pierce went to the, the pros after that year. The 96-97 team was maybe one of the greatest or the greatest KU basketball teams of all time. That team was better than the 97-98 team, but the 97-98 team was still really good. And that was the end. You know, 96-97, you lose Jock Vaughn, Scott Pollard at the end of the year. 97-98, you lose your two superstars at the end of the year. I guess Jock Vaughn was a superstar too. But KU was 35-3 and into that Rhode Island game, which means if they would have won their final five games, won the title, they would have been the first team in college basketball history to reach 40 wins, at least wow. in D1. Yeah. Uh, they beat Prairie View A&M 110-52 in the first round. And then they ran into Catino Mobley, Tyson Wheeler, they combined for 47 points. LaFrance and Pierce combined for 45, but it wasn't enough. And that ended KU's streak of five straight Sweet 16s. Mm. To make matters worse, KU would have played a 13-seed Valparaiso in the Sweet 16. Man. And then they would have got three-seed Stanford in the Elite Eight, which is like, yeah. Yeah, take uh, that. That is, that's a tough one. Yeah. So that, that, I think, for most people is going to be the one. 1999, you're a six-seed that loses to a three-seed Kentucky um, Kentucky was the defending champs. You were the lower seed. This one wouldn't really fit for that, except for this. Kansas was up 79-76 to 76 with 40 seconds left and had the ball. Missed. Kentucky gets the rebound, hits a three, ties the game. KU loses an OT. Um, you lost Ryan Robertson, who was a good player for you as a senior. And on top of it, Kentucky ended up playing a 10 seed in the Sweet 16, hmm. but then lost to a one seed Michigan State in the Elite Eight. So that one, I, I think, is bad just by the path that could have had in the, in the Sweet 16. Yeah. Kind of blowing the game. The defending champs. But realistically, you were a six seed. Beating Kentucky. Yeah. I think this one's worse than that, but it also doesn't go up there with like 98. 2000, number eight seed Kansas loses to one seed Duke, 69-64. But Kansas held Duke to 37% shooting, two of 17 from three, and 23 turnovers. But Duke was still up nine with like six minutes left. KU mounted a comeback, got up 64-63 with 78 seconds. But they outscored 6-0 over the final stretch of the game. Kind of blew that one. Duke wound up losing in the Sweet 16 to a five-seed Florida who made the title game, which, fun footnote there, Udonis Haslam, who is still playing in the NBA, was on that Florida team. <laughs> in uh, 2000? Yeah. That's insane. Notable seniors, it's not as much as like Rafe LaFrance and stuff. Nick Bradford, Terry Nooner. Um, to that one, again, not on the same level of 98, but there are certain things about it that make it painful. 2010, the Northern Iowa loss. I mean, that team was 33-2. and two. They had been AP number one in 15 of the 19 polls. They only hit a low of number three. Entered the tournament number two in offensive efficiency, number four in defensive efficiency. Kansas was 11.5-point favorites. So there's another number. Don't be 11.5-point favorites in the second <laughs> round. Uh, KU was down 8.5, drove by 12. Uh, they, they couldn't really get over the hump. They pulled to within one, and then the Farouk-Manesh three. Kansas couldn't hit threes. They had 15 turnovers. You and I hit a bunch of threes. That was This makes it even worse. That was the first time a one-seed lost in the second round since 2004. Yeah, it is interesting because... There's been so much parity over the past couple of years with one seeds and higher seeds losing. 
but it hasn't always been like that. No, there's a six-year drought. Yeah, yeah, it hasn't always been like that. And this makes it worse, too. Uh, not only did you have a great team, your path to a national title game appearance was a five-seed, six-seed, five-seed. Yeah. That's tough. And then you lose Sharon Collins, Xavier Henry, Cole Aldridge go pro. That makes it worse. I, I think, I don't know, it's either 98 or 2010, I think is the answer here, for the most painful. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, the 2010 one is obviously, I remember that one much more uh, as being a, a a tough loss because you win the title in 08, and I was a little young to like really fully appreciate it, I guess. But like 2010, it was like, okay, here we go. Yeah. Do it again. And then, boom. No. And that one has to be at the top of the I mean, same with 98 in terms of just surprising. That's part of it, too. You're playing yeah. like a mid-major school. It just, yeah. yeah. Uh, to see the careers end like that of some. I mean, Sharon Collins is is one of the best players in KU basketball history. Paul Pierce, yeah. same thing. Ray LaFrance, same thing. Yeah. And have their careers end like that is is just crazy. Exactly. Like, you want, you want guys like that to go out. Not in the second round, basically. Yeah. Like they don't necessarily, you don't necessarily have to win a title because it is difficult to win a title. But you want to see guys like that go out making a run in the tournament. Uh, then we've seen some recent ones. Twenty fourteen, you're a two seed that loses to Stanford. That was the Connor Frank camp almost caught fire and brought you back into a game. Stanford was zero for nine from three with six rebounds and sixteen turnovers and beat you. What the hell? Wiggins had four points. KU shot thirty three percent on twos. No Joel Embiid, and that's what sucks. You would have played an 11-seed Dayton. Then you would have got one-seed Florida. But then 7-seed UConn, 8-seed Kentucky. That would have been the title path. Yeah. I don't know that Kansas would have got by Florida. I don't know yeah. that they would have got by Dayton without Embiid. If Embiid would have played, they could have got by any of those teams. Yeah, for sure. But that one overall, it's it's frustrating anytime you lose. I don't – like that one – you didn't have like long term attachments to a lot of the players. There's a lot yeah. of freshmen. It's definitely a forgettable, yeah. forgettable loss. I think the same goes for 2015. That one was frustrating because you got kind of spanked, and it was to Wichita State. Yeah, and Wichita State. It was kind of like embarrassing a little bit. Um, but you didn't have any seniors. Like yes, Kelly Oubre, Cliff Alexander went pro after that. But again, kind of a forgettable team. You didn't have a bunch of seniors, even though that team was a two seed, just like 2014. There were a lot of flaws in those teams. They, you know, the 2014 team lost double-digit games. 2015 got damn near close. Yeah, and then 2019, like anytime you get blown out, Kansas was down 51 to 25 at half to Auburn. So the whole second half, it's just kind of the writings on the wall. Yeah, we're gonna lose the game. Yeah. Auburn was 13 of 30 from three. What sucks there is that you would have played in KC if you won that game, but you would have played a one seed UNC and a two seed Kentucky. That team also would have been tough. Yeah, one of the more forgettable teams, like LeGerald Vick had already left at that point. Quentin Grimes transferred. Diedrich Lawson went pro, who probably one of the more underrated KU players we've had here with Diedrich. Yeah. But one of only now three guys to average 20 points in the Bill Self era. Yeah, but that one wouldn't be up there. And then 2021, you get blown out again. 85-51, to 51. that wasn't a great team. That was a three-seed. USC was actually the higher-ranked team in Ken Palm. Yeah. It sucked you lost Marcus uh, Garrett, but, you know, I think when you look at it, this year's second round loss, like the last, the last, what would that be? Four second round losses for KU were just kind of more forgettable. Like they, they were painful in the moment because you don't want to lose in the tournament. Yeah. But this second round loss, because you lose Jalen Wilson, because of how it happened, you blew the game. This is the most painful since 2010. Yeah. 
I would say so. And I don't think it's as to, painful as 2010. You wanted to win it for Bill Self to hope he could come back and, and pick, pick your team up. And, and again, I've, I've talked about it time and time again. Jalen Wilson is a guy that I think for a lot of people has very quickly risen up as being one of their favorite players in recent memory, right? He's a, he's a fantastic player, and he's constantly said and did all the right things for Kansas, especially in a senior season. And so... Yeah, it's it's tough to see. And you know, same thing with going back to some of those other guys we talked about in the past. Where, when you have a player or players like that, you don't necessarily have to go out winning a title, but you want to go out, you know, making a run in the tournament, right? Going to the Sweet Sixteen, to the Elite Eight, or to the Final Four. And so, when that doesn't happen, especially when you are a high seed, like a one seed or two seed, you you, you feel a little, you, you feel like the the final chapter wasn't fully written. For some of those guys, you mm-hmm. know, yeah, that's a good way of putting it. So, if I were to rank the most painful, um, I would say as a mass for KU fans, if I'm ranking it for that, not just me individually, I'd say number one would probably be 98, number two, 2010, number three, 92, number four, I think would be this year. If it'd not, be, it'd yeah. have to be like 90, 1990. Maybe. Yeah, but I, I think there probably will be some fans that are willing to write this one off and not say it's painful at all. Because you just won the title. Because you just won the title. You didn't have Bill Self. Like I think I think there will be a certain section of fans that are just going to say, you know what, we're just going to write that one off and move on. But, but yeah, it, it still is a difficult one, certainly. I almost think that adds to the pain, though, because it makes it lingering. Right, like uh, the one difference between no, 20- I agree because you because with this one you can just play the what if game as long yeah. as you want. Like right? that, that's Which the big makes thing. It frustrating with, with 2014, 2015, like neither one was you know more more forgettable stuff. But with the 2014 one, you do have the hypothetical of oh, if Joel Embiid was was there, and you still hear Kansas fans talking about that, that it still kind of lingers with you. The 2015 yeah. Yeah. one, it's just you know rip the bandaid off. With this one, that will always be you know in five years from now, people are going to be like man. If Bill, Self if, was if, if Bill Self was yeah. there or if the 2020 tournament ended up happening, right? Like, those are going to be things yeah. that are always talked about. So, I, I think it's up there, but it's clearly not the number one. But I do think it's definitely more than we've seen in probably a decade at Kansas just because you are saying goodbye to some of these key players, some of these players who have spent a lot of time at Kansas or have been a lot of fun to watch because of that, that kind of what-if portion of things. Um, because you were a one seed, you were a good team, right? Like yeah. this isn't those 2014, 15 teams that you almost felt lucky they got two seeds. Like 2015, I almost wondered if they were going to get a three seed going into the tournament. So, um, yeah, I, I didn't mean to, I guess, take up old wounds <laughs> too much, but I don't know. I thought it was kind of an interesting conversation. Yeah, you're gonna have some people. You're gonna have some people mad now, Derek. Cause yeah, you'll be like, man, you know, I was enjoying my Thursday afternoon, having a great time, and then I just had to remember all these times where K lost. Well. You know, the losses make the wins more more special. True. No, they do. You have Very to true. know where he came from. Yeah, just delete everything from your memory. It's not always about the destination. It's about the journey. Uh, he's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. Brian Haney will join us in 15 minutes. This is RCST on KLWN. Depend on it. Welcome back in with Rock Chuck Sports Talk. Nick Springer, Derek Johnson on KLWN. Joined now by the voice of the Jayhawks, Brian Haney. Opened up the show talking about the toughest or, or worst, or, or however you deem it, most painful second-round losses in KU basketball history. The, the only rule that we had was, you know, since the tournament became what it is, um, you know, if you lose in the second round in, I don't know, 19, like, 50-something, that might be in, like, the Final Four or the Elite Eight or something. So we didn't count those. I, I think clearly for a lot of KU fans, there's going to be, 
uh, maybe three that come to mind. The 92 one against UTEP, the 98 one against Rhode Island, and then the uh, 2010 one against Northern Iowa. But um, I, I certainly thought this year's second round loss was certainly one of the more painful ones for a lot of KU fans because of the fact that it is kind of saying goodbye to some key players like a Jalen Wilson and you didn't have Bill Self and the way you lost the game. Uh, but I, I don't know what would be what would be yours. What would be your answer for uh, the most painful or, or the worst second round loss for KU? Well, before you even listed them off, the two that came to mind first were Ali Farokmanesh yep. in 2010 versus UNI and Tyson Wheeler Katino Mobley versus Rhode Island in, in 1998. And I think it's uh, it's somewhat indicative of how much those particular setback sting that you can remember the specific guys that ousted you. And uh, in the case of 98, that, that's my most bitter memory as a fan because I was a senior in high school and my dad for my spring break had gotten us tickets to see the Jayhawks in the uh, Sweet 16 Elite Eight in St. Uh. Louis. Surely they were going to make it there, right? Well, then Tyson Wheeler and Katino Mobley had other plans. And uh, I believe, was Jim Herrick the coach of Rhode Island? Yes, he was. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, he, he delivered the, the unbelievable upset. And, of course, that team at the time had already won 35 games. We were 35-3. and three. Talk about how great 30-win seasons are. They already had 35 wins and, and were just beginning the month of, of March and what we hoped would be a Final Four run. And so to be derailed uh, prior to the Sweet 16 Elite Eight was such certainly heartbreaking, especially as someone who had tickets as a young fan to those rounds. But then as a professional... I'll never forget working in 2010 down in Oklahoma City when Parokmanesh and, and you and I was scorching the nets from three, and I was the sports director at KLWN like you are now, Derek, and had a, a secondary side hustle like you have several of <laughs> where I was a stringer for ESPN, and I had to call in updates but then also do a, a, a gathering of an interview. They, they had their hosts conduct the interview, but I had to line up the, the phone conversation stand next to the young man and facilitate everything. And so after that loss, when, when my dreams were crushed as a KU grad, the local sports show host and all that, I had to go put the ESPN cap on and go find Ali Farokmanesh and connect him with ESPN radio and stand there and watch him and his finest, proudest hour. And, it, you know, honestly, he was so gracious and sincere about everything. You couldn't help but be a little bit happy for the kid. But it was heartbreaking just as much as the 98 loss to Mobley and Wheeler uh, to see the way Farouk Manesh dashed our dreams that day. So there's a lot of a man. And, and, you know, you could do a whole separate segment on Sweet 16 losses with teams that we thought could go farther. But you know what that means? It just means we're in it every year and we have high hopes every year. Not because we're blindly optimistic, but because our program is really stinking good. And, uh, you know, what they do over the previous five months builds into that hype and that confidence and that hopefulness of our fan base come Selection Sunday. So we're pretty spoiled in that regard. But definitely as as second-round upsets go, those two top the list. And then this one, for the reasons you alluded to, losing to Arkansas and having to say goodbye to Jalen Wilson and and to see Kevin McCullough's dream of a Final Four dash, the whole reason he came to Kansas, that was heartbreaking. And we all thought Grady Dick would have a bigger month of March type run. So it's right up there on the big heartbreaking second rounders. And I think this one, to some degree, stings even more because there's the what might have been if Bill Self was able to coach in the game, a guy that I think is one of the very best 
close game coaches of his generation. There's no doubt in my mind it's a different outcome if, if he's on that sideline. And that's not to take anything away from Norm Roberts or the other assistants. I just think Bill's worth that much. So it's uh, certainly understanding if you put this one right up there with the uh, the 2010. Yeah, and- 98, and, 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 and this particular loss, the fact that with 98 we really thought we were going to win it all. And this particular team, we had hopes of that but we knew it was a much more daunting path. Yeah, for sure. And I think uh, for me, the the one this year, uh, I had a little bit of your, you know, you you were excited in 98 to go to the Sweet 16 with tickets. I was just excited to go to Vegas and do some live shows out there and, and have fun out there. Uh, so now we head into the offseason. MJ Rice, the latest KU player to transfer, uh, five players transferring out of the program. Clearly, there's going to be some movement with the personnel, with what KU is going to have and, and what they're going to look like next season at this point in time what do you kind of view as being the biggest offseason goal that KU is going to try to accomplish amidst all this player movement in terms of what they want to be identity wise next season well to me and this might sound greedy but the biggest offseason goal is to add two starters bench you know forms of firepower and, and maybe El Marco starts and you've already got four of your five starters, but if you have the ability at two seasoned immediate impact plug and play type guys, you're going to step into that starting lineup with some maturity and some experience and some confidence. Um, and that's not to say they're better than El Marco. I'm just saying starting caliber that they would make it tough to not write their names in the lineup card. That to me makes sense that we've known them to be in each of their previous 20 seasons under Bill Self. You need to add those two pieces in order to be that heading into next year. And then, obviously, you know the bench this year was as thin as it had been since 2012. And so to have legitimate firepower off the bench, obviously we need to add a big. We need two wings. We need a, a, another you know, guard to, to back up one, you know, in addition to what some of these freshmen will bring. But two wing scorers in particular two three-point shooters in particular, and then some big man depth to go behind Zuby and Ernest and, and KJ in whatever spot he's playing would certainly be imperative too. But to me, it's, it's two guys that if not, they aren't starters, then they're certainly two of your top six, and then two that are better off the bench than what you had this year. I think about the weapon that Serge Javari Rice was for Texas as a sixth man, and, and think about some Kansas teams in the past that, typically boast a guy like that who can come in. And maybe he's not Big 12 sixth man of the year, but he's one of the best off the bench. We've typically always had that. Didn't have that this year. And uh, we certainly have seen in recent years what the benefit of that can bring. Just look at Remy Martin, for example. So getting back to, to having a solidified starting five, but some real punch, pop, and sizzle off the bench, that to me would be a huge, huge goal for these next few weeks in the portal. What do you think the expectation for El Marco Jackson should and, and will be? Because, you know, we've, we've seen enough freshmen come in and struggle early on, whether they are getting playing time or struggling to crack the rotation. We have seen the stories like Grady Dick and Josh Jackson. It's just that I don't think it's, it's I don't know, you're almost better off not expecting that level right away. So uh, what do you think the internal expectation for his freshman season would be? Yeah, that's a great question. I don't know that I'm ready to answer it just yet. I'm actually going to talk with El Marco tomorrow for a special uh, online piece we're doing, and I'll have a better feel for the young man. Man, obviously, looking at his game and looking at his 
athleticism. He's special in that regard. But I think that sometimes we take for granted what, what Grady Dick just did. It's hard to step in and be a 14-point-per-game, 40% three-point shooter right out the gates, especially as a guy who's a marked man and is receiving significant defensive attention from the opposition night in and night out. So I don't know that it would be fair to just immediately slot him into what Grady did, um, A, because they're different players and different teams with different needs, but B, you know, you just don't know what's going to be asked of him and what the rest of that starting lineup is going to look like yet. Grady, you know, for all intents and purposes, was the second option that opponent defenses had to take away. We don't know where in the pecking order El Marco's role will be, and so it's hard to know how much defensive focus he'll command. So I think it's still a little premature there, but clearly he's the cream of the crop on the full pass coming in. Clearly there's a lot to love about the immediate impact he can bring, but uh, I want to see the rest of these pieces put into play before we have a little bit better and clearer of an idea of of just what's going to be required of him, what the workload and the rotation is going to look like and that sort of thing. So I think he has a chance to be one of the better freshmen that Bill Self's had, but I wouldn't put him in terms of immediate contribution on that Jackson Wiggins dick line just yet. Doesn't mean he's not far off from it. Uh, And he may prove to be every bit as good if the opportunity is there and, and the team's situation requires it of him. There's just so many unanswered questions with this roster right now. It's hard to pencil in anything just yet until we have a better idea. Well, I know we talked last week, and, and we asked all our guests last week to put a percentage on the chance that Grady Dick returns to KU, and I think the high mark was around 30%. Um, I, I think we've all kind of been under the assumption that Jalen and, and Kevin are both going to go pro. Do you, do you think there is any chance that, that, I don't know, maybe Kevin McCuller would come back? Like, would you have that as a higher percentage or a lower percentage than Grady coming back? I would have it at a higher percentage, um, only because I think it, it, it's a much more lucrative opportunity for Kevin to come back. And in, in Grady's case, I mean, his, his future is pretty much etched in stone right now in terms of, of the type of high first-round draft pick he's going to be whether it's this year or next. And as we talked about on last week's report, I don't think him coming back for a full additional year causes him to climb that much higher. You know, he might go from being the 12th to 13th overall pick to the 7th or 8th, who may feel like his clock is ticking and it's now or never, and he's already long in the tooth, yada, yada. A year from now, he's not going to have the earning potential from a name, image, and likeness standpoint that he would have at the University of Kansas if he's playing in the G League somewhere or playing overseas somewhere. We all love Kevin, and we hope he's in the NBA, but the reality of the situation is a lot of guys, even the drafted guys, are playing right away at the NBA level. And So, I mean, it's it's high six-figure kind of money that the face of a blue-blooded program could yield an NIL. and So that's why I wouldn't close the book entirely just yet. Having said that, every comment he's made going back to three weeks before senior day all the way through the end of the season would indicate that he came in to play this one season with Jalen and to go out together, and that's his expectation, that's his game plan. Um, so it would obviously you know, take a real about face and change of heart for that to happen. I just think that as we start to evaluate any player situation going forward in this new day and age we live in uh, with NIL and, and the portal and all that, for guys that are tweener draft picks, whether it's in between the first and second round or in between being drafted at all, which you know, in Kevin's case, he's a late second round projected guy. 
I think now, unlike any time prior to the last 12 months, you have to consider, gosh, wouldn't I be making more money to come back with name, image, and likeness at a school like Kansas versus toiling around in the minors or, or overseas? And if the answer is even close to being yes, and you could enhance your draft stock still, even though I know it's tougher to get drafted when you're 23, 24, uh, but, but the earning potential in this one-year window might be such that it's worth another look. And so that's why I probably hold out a little more hope. But having said that, all of that, it's still my expectation that all three are gone just based on what the players have said. And we'll, we'll continue to keep options open and, and uh, have a little bit of hopefulness in the cases of, of Grady and Jalen until we hear it officially. I'm sorry, Grady and Kevin until we hear it officially. I think Jalen's definitely out the yeah. door. But, uh, but I, I think that, you know, like I mentioned with the NAL, that, that, that's a game changer with name, image, and likeness now. And so uh, until a guy officially says he's done, done, Someone who has a chance to make well north of six figures, you have to consider all options. We're talking with the voice of the Jayhawks, Brian Haney. You can also hear him on the uh, ESPN Plus feed with KU Baseball over the weekend. And we'll have the next KU Baseball broadcast here on KLWN this upcoming Tuesday here. Um, So now that the basketball season has come to an end and and you are transitioning to doing a lot of baseball over the the course of this upcoming spring and everything, what is the biggest storyline? What is the biggest thing that you are tracking in year one of the Dan Fitzgerald era? Boy, that's a great question. I I think that, you know, for me, I'm not going to judge this particular year Sounds so cliche, but it's it's really true in this case. I'm, I'm not going to judge him as much on the wins and losses in year one as I am player development and what do they look like in in late April and and May compared to what they were at the start of the year. Obviously, when you overhaul the roster as much as they have, you're going to have some growing pains. You're going to take some lumps, and we saw that down at Fort Worth last weekend. But I'm seeing a team that's that's fighting hard for their coaching staff and and a lot of new faces that are trying to make the most of their opportunities the way that they clawed and and scrapped and fought their way back in the Missouri game last Wednesday at Kauffman Stadium to force a three-all tie entering the ninth shows that they're going to battle. They're going to compete. But this is still a program that's at least a year away from from starting to show what I think Dan Fitzgerald wants it to be. And it's exciting that they've got the number one rated JUCO recruiting class in the country. But again, you're not going to see the effects of that until next year. And so right now with some of the immediate transfer guys that came over, some of the portal guys and and, and a couple JCs that are being leaned upon, you're going to see progress to the point where they're they're much more competitive later in the year. But how do they stack up within the league? That's really tough to say. And this is a great measuring stick weekend with Baylor coming in because this is one of those teams you'll be competing against to, uh, to fight your way into the Big 12 postseason down in Arlington here in about uh, seven or eight weeks. So I think for Kansas, you know, that there's a lot to, to still be hopeful about. But at the same time, if, if they fall too far below 500 in this first year, understand just how much turnover we're dealing with here, how much of a, a roster overhaul they had to make. And, and you're not trotting the same guys out there you were a year ago. Now, having said that, that's not to set the bar too low at all. It's just, I, I think like any program, whether it's Lance Leipold in his first season with KU football or, or anything not named KU men's basketball that's a juggernaut, you're going to have a transitional season where sometimes the quantifiable measures in which you judge success or progress isn't simply wins and losses, but rather, you know, how much better did this kid get 
uh, in, in handling the strike zone and, and being a more selective hitter. How much better did this pitcher's arsenal get from the first day of fall camp to the end of the season? How much more of a competitor was he with runners on base? Was he able to, to not unravel but lock in and get some outs? And eventually those gradual, incremental individual developments turn into greater team progress and wins and losses. But right now, I think it's, it's a team that's going to run into some buzzsaws. But I will say, in a conference year where you've only got three uh, you know, ranked Big 12 teams at the start of league play nationally, maybe there's a chance to, to have some more surprising Big 12 weekends than in a different year where the league's a little more top-heavy. I just think we have to take it all with a grain of salt and understand just, just how many fresh faces we're talking about here and that it's not built overnight, not at all. But we definitely have the right guy for the job. Travis Goff is giving him tremendous support. Some of the facilities upgrades that are on the way that you'll see images of and hear more about in the days ahead are going to have you so fired up about what they're building, both brick by brick, but also player by player with Kansas baseball. And that should have everybody pretty pumped right now. He is voice of the Jayhawks, Brian Haney. Brian, thanks for the time as always, man. And uh, before we let you go, a word from Nate Miller. Yeah, that's right. Thanks for having me. And thanks to Nate Miller for sponsoring these reports all season long. You can do, as, as Nate's done with me and some of my friends, sit down and have him evaluate your most profitable and secure financial future, whether you have a current portfolio or not. He'll sit down and, and look at your investments and get you involved in the right directions to have you set up for the best possible, most uh, formidable and secure financial future in your own life. So check him out today, MillerRetirementGroup.com. That's MillerRetirementGroup.com. Guys, thanks a lot. Have a great show. and. Uh, Hopefully we aren't talking about uh, worst second-round heartbreaks ever when you're doing a show <laughs> this time next year. Hopefully we're recapping where does this final four run stack with our other favorites. Sound good? That's right. Sounds great to me. All right, that's Brian Haney. Cue the disclaimer. Brian is a paid spokesperson, not a client. Brian does not endorse, and all individuals should make their own evaluation of the firm's investment advisory and insurance services. Investment advisory services offered only by duly registered individuals through AE Wealth Management, LLC. That was Brian Haney, voice of the Jayhawks, here on RCST. With Nick Springer, I'm Derek Johnson. One hour down, two to go, into the transfer portal, next. Four o'clock hour, you're listening to Rock Jock Sports Talk on KLWN. And guys, it is all about confidence. Confidence knowing you'll be ready to go when your partner is. Confidence knowing you'll be able to go a few extra rounds when needed. Confidence is what you get with the Chewables from BlueChew.com, a unique online service that delivers the same active ingredient as Viagra and Cialis, but in chewable form and at just a fraction of the cost. BlueChew is an online prescription service. You don't need any doctor's office visits, no awkward conversations, no waiting in line at the pharmacy where you got to hear your name called out with the prescription. Everybody's, you know, is questions what's going on over there. It ships right to your door in a discreet package. And that also means the process is super simple because it is done online where you can pr- sign up at bluechew.com. So if you'd benefit from extra confidence when it's time to perform, visit bluechew.com. Here's a special deal for our listeners. Try bluechew free when you use our promo code RCST at checkout. Just pay $5 shipping. That's bluechew.com promo code RCST to receive your first month for free. So we're going to go back into the transfer portal and discuss some of the uh, maybe upcoming transfers and everything right after this. There is a fifth dimension beyond that which is known to the average basketball fan. It is a dimension as large as Wilt and as timeless as Perry Ellis. It is the middle ground between staying and leaving. 
between wins and losses, and it lies between the pit of recruiting and entrance to the NBA. This is the dimension of new schools. It is an area which we call the transfer portal. Okay, so into the transfer portal we go. Maybe some guys who have popped up in the portal. Maybe some that have reported interest. Yeah. Maybe just some guys we want to talk about. Uh, let's start out with some guys that maybe we previously talked about that have committed elsewhere. Okay. There's been one so far that we talked about last week. Paxson Wojcik, who we talked about as like a, a good shooter from the outside, lower level. He committed to North Carolina. Hmm. It makes sense. North Carolina, they lose Caleb Love. They'll need uh, need somebody to replace that level of shooting. So, yeah, yeah. makes sense. All right. Uh, KU reported interest. These are guys that maybe have had, you've seen on, on like social media or something, like, oh, this player's heard from Kansas to varying degrees all the way through, like, oh, maybe they've had a Zoom call or an in-person meeting or something like that. Um, first up is Jalen Cook. He just entered the portal last night. And uh, there was a tweet from John Rothstein today saying that Kansas had reached out to some regard. He is a six foot, two hundred and five pound guard from Tulane. He started his career at LSU, so you know he's, you know, he originally came in to a Power Five school. In the last two years at Tulane, after transferring over, eighteen points per game, twenty points per game. This last year, twenty points, five assists per game. He shot thirty five percent from three. For his career, he's at thirty seven percent from three. First team All Conference both years. He was at Tulane, so he's no question about it. This is a bona fide scorer uh, who maybe doesn't necessarily have the size potentially that Kansas might be looking for necessarily, but certainly a guy that you could probably trust to come off the bench or start maybe next to Dewan, I guess potentially as a small two guards uh, and probably score a lot of points. My question here, does that work? He's only six feet tall. Exactly, that's what I'm saying. He's, he definitely doesn't fit what we've heard from some people about what is looking for in terms of size. There was also a, a rumor out there from Andrew Slater that he would stay in state. Kansas, obviously, not in the same state as Tulane. <laughs> uh, the other part of this, I don't know if he's going to be eligible right away. Oh. Because we don't know. We don't know how the NCAA is going to treat this. They yeah. came out with like a week ago that reprise that basically said, if you have a coach that leaves their program or whatever, like basically we are going to start cracking down on guys who are transferring a second time. Now, I believe if you're a graduate... It's still fine. I think so. I'm not 100% on that, but I think so. But this guy's played three years of ball, so unless he graduated early, hmm. I, I guess we'll find out. So yeah. I don't know. That one, a little bit interesting. Yeah. Um, what would you do if I told you there is a guy who has played in the Big 12? He is a six foot seven wing... His last stop at college basketball, nine points on 50% from three. Would that interest I you? You would be intrigued, yeah. Well, welcome to Tyon Grant Foster. Oh. Former Jayhawk. Wait, what? <laughs> no, that was a joke. But uh, oh, okay. he, he is entering the portal. Where he did he even DePaul, go? Say, so he went he... from Kansas to DePaul. Last year, he missed the year with an injury. Wait, didn't Charlie Moore go to DePaul too? Yeah. Before he went to Miami? And then he missed last year with an injury. Now he's entering the portal again. This is wild. Tyon Grant Foster still has two years left of eligibility. What? He played two years at JUCO, then came to Kansas. Could he come back to Kansas? I mean, hypothetically, yes. Would he? No. No, <laughs> that is not happening. That part of it was a joke. He will not be coming back to Kansas. I feel <laughs> feel very good about that. Um, okay, how about this one? Reese Dixon Waters reported interest from Kansas. To what degree? I don't know. He was the Pac-12 sixth man of the year. Six-foot-five guard. 
not not a great shooting season from three, only 30%. First career's at 35, but limited attempts. 10 points per game, three rebounds. But clearly he's, I don't know, maybe he's okay coming off the bench, but then again, he's transferring. So does that tell you that like he doesn't <laughs> like coming off the bench? Yeah, I don't know. That is interesting. Because if you're the sixth man of the year, like you're still coming off the bench at the end of the day, mm-hmm. right? But uh, yeah, I don't know. But clearly that's a guy, he's not a great shooter, but he can come off the bench and score for you. So maybe, kind maybe. of interesting. Yeah. I would put him on like the The type the of guy that maybe... De- if you get other guys who are really good shooters, he might become more appealing. Yes. Uh, Khalif Battle from Temple. This has been a popular one. Yeah, he uh, averaged 18 points per game last year. He came off the bench, too, in a lot of games. Eight starts, 27 total appearances. year before, he was at 21 points per game in just seven games before he had a season-ending injury. But he's a guy who can create his own shot off the dribble, 35% from three, but on eight attempts per game. So he's more of a volume shooter. He is. Uh, he just had an official visit Which, to UCF. That's fine with Kansas, right? If you're a volume three-point shooter, that's kind of what KU needs. He's 6'5". He can create his own shot. Now, he too, he transferred previously from Butler, but he's been in school four years. So I don't know if he's graduated and he, he'll be immediately eligible. He immediately goes toward the top of the list for me. Okay. Because yep. he can create he does shots. Check, he checks a lot of the boxes of what we've heard about what KU's looking for. Tall, lengthy. He's been probably, fine in the past coming off the bench. Can probably defend multiple positions. Mm-hmm. Pretty good. Pretty pretty um, an average shooter, right? Not a great shooter, but a solid shooter. Yeah. On high volume, right? Those are those are two pretty big check marks that KU's looking for. Could potentially come off the bench. Yeah. Check, he, he's check, some of the, check some of the boxes. Yeah. The two biggest for me are just, can you create shots? Can you make shots from the outside? He checks both those. Uh, Kwasier Reeves. There's been a couple reported interests from him, although I don't know how. I don't think KU is like going that hard after him, but I'll bring him up here anyway. 6'6", 182-pound guard. He, uh, not a great shooter. 26% from three. Year before, he was at 33%. Okay. His career, he's at 29. Eight and a half points per game. Where where is he? Lengthy from Florida. Florida. Not overly interesting. Eh, Yeah. How about this one? TJ Bamba. I wonder if he's related to Mo Bamba. Probably not. He might be. Bronx, New York. Six foot five guard from Washington State. Now he is entering the draft process, so he's kind of in the same ilk as like Kevin McCullough, Remy Martin. Went through the draft process, then they come back, and if they decide to come back, they enter the transfer portal. Uh, but this kid answers some of those questions. 37% from three, year before 36%. 15.8 points per game on a power five team in Washington State that was they weren't a great team, but like they were pretty good. They were, they were around the same in Ken Palm that like Pittsburgh was. Yeah. So, I think this one goes toward the top of the list as well. TJ Bamba. Yeah, could be. Again, does check some boxes. Some of those boxes. Uh, high, uh, a good shooter. Again, he's six uh, five, right? Yeah. So could potentially defend multiple positions. I feel like that's maybe an underrated thing that KU's looking for is guys that can defend multiple positions. Yeah, because it's they clear that switching. they yeah it's clear that they prefer a style of defense that involves a lot of switching. Uh, this one, another from Temple. This is one that KU apparently had an in-home visit with down in uh, Houston. Jamil Reynolds. He is a six foot nine, two hundred and thirty pound big man. Although that's his basketball reference page. I think I've seen elsewhere. He's, yeah, he's like six like eleven actually. Like six eleven, like two eighty. Yeah, this is yeah. a big dude. 
10 points per game, five and a half rebounds per game, over a block per game in just 20 minutes. Um, he's came off the bench in a lot of games. You wonder if he'd be comfortable doing that because that would be a nice boon for KU yeah. to have that extra center insurance. Absolutely. 60% from two-point range, and I was I was watching some of his game. He's got a little bounce to him, throws down some hard dunks, okay. but he's got a good little post game to him. That's and something I think that when, Bill yeah. Self would like, certainly. When I look at bringing in another center, if you're going to bring in another center, he's I probably going to be a back to the basket guy. Exactly. Yeah. And whether he ends up beating out like Ernest Duda and Zubiagifor or being behind him, just having that change of pace, a different guy, I think would be helpful. Yeah. I don't hate this one. I know some people are like, eh, 10 and 5 at Temple is a big man. I'll tell you, if, if you watch some of his stuff, I don't know how much he's going to help you defensively. He's clearly not somebody who could switch. Probably have to play like drop coverage with him, but like. I think there was a role for a player like that on this team. Yeah, and we talked about it. Like, as much as everyone's kind of thirsty for wings right now, the reality situation is KU, at this point in time, only has two bona fide five guys on their roster. You'd like to have at least one more guy, or at least a guy that could be like a KJ Adams where you could play him at five or four, right? And so this is a guy that sounds like you would pretty much strictly play him at the five, but still would be somebody that could potentially help you out in that area. Caden Shedrick has some interest from Kansas. See, this is a little more interesting to me. Shedrick for Virginia kind of started to break out at the end of the year. Six foot eleven, only two hundred sixteen pounds. He is a rim protector, but he's not in the ilk of being like a back to the basket scorer. He can get some lobs and you know okay. he get dunks. The two so point percentage looks really good. A less athletic Ernest. Yeah, that might be a good way of putting it. But he's more refined. He's more experienced. Yeah. yeah. Um, he in their NCAA tournament game against Furman. Had 15 points, 13 rebounds, four blocks. Okay, yeah. Against Duke in the ACC, I think that was the seminar, was that the finals? The finals, uh, he had five points, seven rebounds, and a block. So, like, he'd be interesting, but I don't know. I'd, I'd almost, like, I think Shedrick is a better player than Reynolds, but I almost wonder if Reynolds is just a better fit. Because I feel like with Shedrick, you're getting, like you said, it's you basically have that with Ernest and Zuby. Yeah, for sure. Another big man that uh, has been showing interest in Kansas is Graham E.K. from Wyoming. Yes. We already talked about him last week. but We did. It sounds like there's been more coming out a little bit that the interest is more mutual. Yes. It sounds like there was a Zoom call had between the two of them. Yeah. um, And that there could be some things linking them together that maybe there is some real interest there. So, yeah, as far as the big men go, the ones that we've seen K reported interest, I think number one for me would be E.K. Number two... It'd probably be a tie between Reynolds and Shedrick. Again, I think Shedrick the better player, but I think Reynolds might be the better fit. Okay, yeah. how about this one? Uh, kind of an interesting guy. Dalton, I don't know if it's pronounced Connect or Neck. Is the K is the silent? silent, right? I kind of like it being Connect because it's <laughs> like, like connect connected four. from three. Six foot <laughs> oh, six. Oh, yeah, I guess that's true. He's a wing guard type. He was all big sky. And I, I know I talked about last week, and I continue to believe this. Kansas is more so interested in like the, the big six conference guys because they don't want to have to worry about how guys transfer up. There will be certain exceptions to this, and I wonder if this is one of them. 20 points per game, over seven rebounds, elite three-point shooter, 38% from three, 37 for his career, on high volume from three, good free-throw shooter. If this is a guy that's like, hey, I'm cool transferring up and maybe even coming off the bench for you and being a bench shooter, all for it. But if he's someone who wants to come in and be the star of the show, and that goes with a lot of these guys who are transferring up, yeah, then maybe it's a different conversation. Where is he? Where, what school? Northern Colorado. There was some interest uh, reported from Cario Oquendo. 
He's in Power 5 school, Georgia, but not a great shooter, so I don't want to spend too much time on this. 27% from three in two seasons. But he did average yeah. 14 points per game in two years. I just I don't feel like KU is going to go after anybody really very hard if they're under, like, 33. Yeah. Like, if they're not a big man and they're under, like, 33 34%, I don't feel like KU is going to really attack them too hard. Yep. Um, there are a couple names. At, uh, there's a name that just got added to the portal that is very interesting to me um, that I'll bring up right now. So now we move on from the KU reported interest to the to watch category that there right. hasn't been maybe reported interest, but names to at least watch. The first is the newest guy into the portal that just happened about 15 minutes ago. Oliver Nkamwa. He is uh, from Tennessee, so you don't have to worry about him transferring up. He was just in a very good program, obviously. Yep. He is a... Um, Experienced player. He was just a senior this past year for Tennessee, so he'll be using his fifth year. Six foot nine, 236 pounds. But he played on the wing for Tennessee. Hmm. They played him at the three and the four. Okay. Not a not an elite three point shooter, but not a bad one either. Thirty three percent this past year. Yeah. Year before forty five percent. But it's very limited attempts. Only 1.3 attempts per game, 1.5 attempts per game. See, I just don't know how many guys you can have on the floor at the same time that are right. 1.3 attempts. Like, you got Dewan. That's the problem. If you have this guy, along with, like, KJ and Ernest, like, you don't, you're pretty limited. But he also averaged 10.8 points per game, five rebounds, two assists. And in their NCAA tournament game against Duke, when they beat him in the second round, he was unbelievable. He had 27 points, five rebounds. He was three of four from three. But again, you have questions about spacing. This is a guy that would make a lot of sense in a lot of ways. Good defender. But I think it depends on, is K.J. Adams really going to move to the four? Yeah. If he's going to move to the four, this becomes less palatable. Well, and again, we, we've talked about it. I think one of the issues KU is going to run into with the transfer portal is they can't guarantee one way or another if it's going to be Ernest starting at the five or K.J. at the five or K.J. at the five again, right? Like. That's just that's a question right. that they can't answer right now that they're not going to be able to answer until later on down the line closer to the start of the season. So for a guy like this where it maybe makes sense if you know one way or another what your lineup is going to be, it might be tough for Kansas because they they can't they can't say for certain, right? No. Like we they think it sounds like Ernest the, the ideal situation is Ernest is at the 5 and you move KJ to the 4, but you know, if if Ernest doesn't progress in the way that they hope him to and and Bill Self has said many, many times, hey, I'm going to play the best five guys, right? And if that means KJ going to the five again, obviously he did it the whole season this past season, so he won't be afraid to do it again. So you you don't know, right? And for players like this, it, it does make it tough for KU. I think it makes it tough for KU in a couple different ways. It makes it tough for KU to determine if they want to get that player, but it also makes it tough in terms of pitching that player to possibly come to KU. Because if you're pitching him and saying, hey, you know, this is going to be your role, well, if you don't know what their role might be, then suddenly that player might say, well, you know, I'm going to go over here where I know exactly what I'm going to yeah. be getting. Yeah, that's the problem. If, if you were playing KJ at the five, he'd, he'd be perfect to play the four because he is even bigger, honestly, than KJ that it would give you extra size exactly. down like low. You would, and, yeah, you basically have like a positionless yes, five four. You situation. can get away with the not shooting as many threes as much. But yeah, if, if you are profiling him for three, then it probably doesn't work. Chris Livingston is an interesting guy. This guy from Kentucky now. We don't know for sure, but this is a report that came out from Kentucky Sports Radio that the uh, Jack Pilgrim is the name of the, the guy who reported this. The growing expectation is that Livingston will eventually leave town in the coming months, likely for the NBA draft, but a transfer is also in the cards. So again, think back to yep. Kevin Kohler, yep. all those guys. 
Yep. And you might look at Chris Livingston's numbers and be like, yeah, they don't blow you away. He's a six foot six, two hundred twenty pound. He was a freshman. He was the number thirteen recruit in the RSCI, which is like a combination of a bunch of the recruiting services. So clearly, he has a high potential. That when you look at the stats, played twenty two minutes per game, six point three points, four point two rebounds. They don't jump off the page. But when you have a guy who is a former five star recruit. You expect them to make a jump in year two. Yes, and obviously they have, obviously that means they have talent. Exactly, and this guy at six foot six. What were you were you talking about with a lot of these different guys? Switchable. He can yeah. guard a lot of different positions. Yeah, you can play him at the. I, I think he was listed as a shooting guard for his high school, but he can play the three or the four even if you wanted to play him as an undersized four. The three point shooting not great, thirty point five percent. But if you're playing him in the Kevin McCuller role as that switchable wing. That's about in line with with what yeah. Kevin shot, except yeah. this guy has potential because he'll be a sophomore as a five-star recruit to shoot maybe mid-30s with another year, right? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I love that one. That's one that would go up the top of the list if he does end up transferring. Kalel Ware is a former five-star recruit, center from Oregon. Haven't really heard much interest from KU, um, but I think he's from Arkansas, so everybody's been almost linking that that's going to be the case. But obviously, hmm. if you want a center... You know, there you go. But I don't know that that's that much different than, again, like Ernest Duday. Kind of a raw center. Yeah. Not great back to the basket game. Yeah. Tyrese Samuel, he just entered the portal. We saw him up close and personal against KU with Seton Hall. Now, here's one that is interesting if you do want a center, I think, because 6'10", 235 pounds, can stretch the floor a little bit. He's shot 1.13s per game over his college career, 29.1%. So not great, but he's at least shown the affinity to, which if you're playing him next to KJ Adams, maybe that's helpful. But 57% from the floor last year, 11 points per game, 6 rebounds per game. Any interest? I don't know, man. Seton Hall was bad. Maybe. He was like one I think of the there's better players. center transfer portal options. For sure. I would agree. But definitely one I want to do at least throw out there. Okay, yeah. Okay, on to the next category, which is hmm, hmm. as in haven't seen any reported interest, but okay. I'm uh, I'm not totally in love with it, but I'm interested. How about Ace Baldwin Jr.? Just entered the portal, VCU. He is the two-time Atlantic 10 Defensive Player of the Year this that past year for them. Already intriguing. Yep, 12.7 points per game, 5.8 assists per game, 2.2 steals per game. He shot 34% from three. On 3.7 attempts per game. For his career, he's at about 35% well, from three. This this is interesting to me because there's been a lot of talk about replacing Jalen, right? Like, even like Marcus Adams to reclassify, there was the quote that he was like, yeah, you know, I could be somebody who maybe takes some of the, like, that role, I guess, because of the same style, right? Or going in the portal and getting a 6'7", 6'8", wing shooter, right? What about, what about replacing a guy like Kevin, who was an all-Big 12 defensive player, and you could argue was maybe had a case for the Big Twelve Defensive Player of the Year. Well, here's the problem. And what's what's that? He is a six foot point guard. Oh, this is why he's in the hmm category. That's a, that is a problem. So can you get away with playing him next to Dwan? Now both those guys would be elite. I mean, you would get so many steals from your yeah. top two, right? But I mean, if you played any team that had size at the guard, they're just the going to post them up. You would probably have problems, right? Now, how many teams do that? Well, not a ton. Uh, this Kentucky, is one, Kentucky did it last year. Yeah. Uh, this is one that I think you could get away with playing two small guards because of the way that both guards fight you. Yeah. And because he's he's fine shooting the ball. So I'd be all for that one, but that is the possible hitch, right? Okay, yeah. yeah. Joe Girard, great three-point shooter from Syracuse, doesn't really do much else. But you're talking about a guy with well, that's a, power that's five a really, experience. That's a really great sales pitch there. 
I think if it doesn't you, do much else. No, I mean it's true. <laughs> He's like a, a, a three point specialist, like six foot one guard. So you'd have to worry about the size again. But you're talking about someone who shot 38% on seven attempts per game from three, year before 40% on seven attempts from three, 16 points per game. But again, doesn't really do much else. So okay. this would be the type of guy that if he's comfortable coming off the bench, you start El Marco and Dewan, he comes off the bench for 20 minutes a game, just flamethrowers some threes. <laughs> That's the role, right? So that is a yeah. hum because yeah. you have to wait on the role. And then the last one, another guy who's kind of been uh, limited to being a three-point spot-up shooter, Tamar Bates. Originally was in Kansas, then went to, uh, I think it was the IMG Academy in Florida, maybe, and then went to Indiana. He's shot 39% from three, or I'm sorry, 35% from three on two and a half per game in his two years. But this past year, 37% from three on almost three attempts per game. More of a spot-up shooter type of guard, but I know there's more to his game. 6'5", 193 pounds. I don't know. Mm. Hmm. And then the last one that I have on on this is uh, <laughs> this category, the pit of controversy. <laughs> I'd probably put Kirk Reese on here. Yeah, you could probably put Kirk Reese on there. But we talked about him last week. Uh, Caleb Love. There was yeah. uh, Wes Durham, who does the, he's the lead announcer for the ACC Network, does some like ESPN broadcasting. He's also the son of the, the former voice of the Tar Heels for like the longest time, uh, which I think was Woody Durham. And he was on a video interview with someone and saying that like he expects him to go to Kansas. And I don't know if he has any knowledge of that. Yeah, if he's like or connected, whatnot. but I haven't seen anything with Kansas and Caleb Love. I don't know if that would be a Bill Self player. It'd be the same ilk of like Remy Martin, though, right? Whereas yeah. it'd be like you're trying to rein this guy in. Yeah, there's the, clearly the, talent. The potential there. is definitely there. Potential's there. Yeah, he's a guy who can make shots, but he only shot 29 percent from three. Year before, he's at 36 percent, though, right? Yeah. So if you yeah. get good Caleb Love and he's comfortable being in a smaller role. Where he's not the go-to option all the time. Yeah. Then I think, I think you trust the Bill Self to make it work. The issue maybe some people might have with a guy like Caleb Love is it felt like at times this season in North Carolina he just was trying to play hero ball. Exactly. And so that's the that's the ultimate part of this here yeah. that makes it the pit of controversy. And is there anything that Bill Self hates more than hero ball? Exactly. So like, here's the thing with Bill Self, if you do that, you're going to get pulled right away. <laughs> so it's not going to negatively impact the team too much because you'll just be on the bench. Yeah, but I mean, you but then it's negatively impacting pissed, the team right? because you. So you can bring down had, team morale, and you could have you could have had somebody else. Exactly. So that's the ultimate one where it's like I'm not totally in on, but if Bill Self goes for it and KU has interest, then I am in on because that tells me the staff trusts that they can make it work for what is a talented player with some real flaws. Yeah. So, interesting enough. All right, that is our uh, into the transfer portal. We have a Johnny's Tavern interview with a KU club sport, the KU Sailing Club, with Emma Russin next here on RCST. You're listening on KLWN. Depend on it. Welcome back into Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. Derek Johnson with Nick Springer, and we continue on with our KU Club interviews brought to you by Johnny's Tavern in North Lawrence. Go on out and uh, feel like part of the neighborhood on the porch where you can get some great food, great drink, hang out with great people, whether it's the staff there, uh, your friends and family, or new people that you're meeting over at Johnny's Tavern in North Lawrence. And we're joined today by Emma Russin of the KU Sailing Club. Uh, So I guess, Emma, first things first, uh, this is the second time we've had you on here with the show. Uh, give a little reminder, what what is your title with the KU Sailing Club, and, and uh, what year in you are you at KU? Um, right now, I'm the vice president, but I just got voted to be the president for next year on the team. 
Uh, currently, I'm a senior in civil engineering, and I'm planning on continuing my education here, and I'm going to get a master's in environmental engineering. So plenty more years to come, possibly, for the, the sailing club. What's your background in sailing? Uh, where are you from, and, and what kind of got you into it? Uh, I grew up in Minnesota, and there's a really big sailing presence there. I live on a lake, and so every single day of the week, there's someone out sailing. And I work at my local yacht club, and about four or five days a week, I go and race a boat. And instead of doing internships over the summer, I work at my sailing school. And what, I guess, why why has sailing become such a passion for you? What about the sport do you love so much? Um, I think what I like a lot about it is that it's kind of like playing a game of chess when you're racing. Um, you, have to, you have to think, of, you got to make a lot of decisions out on the course, and it's not like the same formula every single time. And as far as the KU Sailing Club, um, when's your guys' season? When did you get started for this year, and, and how's everything going? Uh, our seasons every year are from August to November, and then sometime in April. kind of depends on how cold the winter is till the end of the year. Um, and we try to do four or five events every year. We got a lot of them in this fall and are working on getting a, a scrimmage set up for this spring. Um, but we practice every single week. We go out for a couple hours and we learn how to race. And then every couple weeks we'll travel, usually to Texas, uh, and race against other teams. How often are your guys' practices uh, over the course of the week? Uh, we usually practice once a week because our lake is about an hour away. Um, but we're out there for five or six hours. So it's a long day. Um, uh, what are the, I guess, mental and, and physical uh, parts of it that, that make it difficult? Um, physically, your arms are getting tired. Your legs are getting tired. A lot of, a lot of things, especially when it's windy, is you're you're holding yourself into the boat by your legs and your feet because you got to balance it out. Uh, and mentally, it's you really have to be on your game the whole time. It's not something that you can kind of coast and do every second that you're out there. You have to be controlling the boat. How many different students do you have uh, on the club? Um, right now, our big race team is about 10 people, but on our social club days, we have about 30 or 40 people come out, um, and we, we'll teach anyone how to sail. And so is that something where you guys have multiple boats, or is there one boat, people are rotating in and out? How, how does that all work? Yeah, so our club owns six boats, and then the yacht club that we sail out of owns about another six, and so... Um, when we go out and practice, depending on how many people come, we can have all of those boats go out all at the same time. And uh, in regards to students joining the club, what's the process like for that? Um, reach out to us. We have an Instagram. Um, on the Instagram, we have linked our email. Um, we also have a website that should come up when you look for us. But emailing us, reaching out to us on the Instagram is our good ways. Okay. And uh is there any upcoming uh, events for you guys or, or any upcoming fundraisers, anything like that? Uh, this semester we're doing some fundraising. We're looking to get some more travel funds for next year and also to get uh, upgraded line for all of our boats. Uh, we're working on that through Launch KU, so that should show up in the next couple of weeks. And then we're starting practice here in April, um, and we're really excited, and we're host hoping to host a scrimmage also in April. And can students join at, at any time throughout the year, or is it something where – uh, they have to join by a certain date and, I don't know, their tryouts or anything? Nope, you can join whenever you want. You just got to show up and be ready to learn. Okay. Um, so do you have that Instagram tag uh, one more time? 
Uh, KU Sailing on Instagram. There's a link in our bio that has all of our information in it. Awesome. Well, uh, Emma, is there anything else that, that you want to get across that uh, about the sport or that you have coming up that, that you'd like to share? Um, sailing is a lifelong sport. You can grow up, you can buy a boat, uh, and you can travel the whole world doing it. Um, and there's a lot of different boats, and there's a lot of really cool people in the community, and I would encourage everyone to try it. Awesome. Well, Emma, appreciate the time, and good luck on the uh, upcoming sailing season. Thank you so much. That's Emma Russin joining us of the KU Sailing Club here on Rock Truck Sports Talk. Our KU Club interviews are brought to you by Johnny's Tavern in North Lawrence. Go tell Rick we said hi. Always a big supporter of some of the club sports, including the rugby team at the University of Kansas. And uh, you can support the rugby club. You can support the sailing club. You can support Johnny's Tavern. Uh, all sorts of great people throughout the uh, docket there. All right, we're going to take a time out. This is Rock Truck Sports Talk on KLWN with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. Depend on it. All right, we still have some tickets available for the KU women's basketball game happening on Saturday, WNIT final, KU Columbia. It's going to start at 4.30 on Saturday in Allen Fieldhouse. Uh, we'll give those away at the end of this segment here. we got Florida Man Mad Libs coming up in our next segment. But let's recap what happened last night in the KU women's basketball game. They absolutely dominated Washington. Yeah, yeah, not even a close game. And like we talked about uh, yesterday leading up to the game, Washington did not have a very impressive offense. They didn't have anybody that averaged over double digits besides one player, and they, they weren't necessarily a, a, a team that could go on scoring runs, more like scoring droughts, which is exactly what happened against KU. The whole game was a scoring drought. scored 36 points. Yeah, 36. So that's what happens when a not-great offense meets a defense with uh, Kansas that has Tiana Jackson in the middle. Good luck. Yeah. But the funny thing about that is Washington, they got a lot of offensive rebounds, and they just literally shot 24% from the floor. And you can get 100 offensive rebounds in a game. If you're shooting 24% from the floor, you're probably going to have a hard time winning the game. Yeah, so to your point, 20 offensive rebounds exactly. Um, but because yeah, they out-rebounded out KU. KU has Tyana Jackson in the middle who had five blocks. As a team, KU had, I think, 13 blocks which is pretty remarkable. You become one-dimensional uh, when you go 0 for 10 from 3, which yeah. is what Washington did. a single did. 3. Yeah, no. yeah. And in, and in today's college basketball, you're not going to win very many games going not hitting a single three-point shot, right? Yeah, and that's so. what the game was won by. It was the KU defense. Um, you hold Washington down inside. You prevent their three-point looks. You held Washington to or forced them into 21 turnovers. You yeah, had the, 10 the turnovers, steals. The turnovers was another big factor, yeah. And then uh, Tiana Jackson, uh, 12 points, 11 rebounds, 5 blocks. But it was Holly Kerskeeter, who we talked about yesterday, kind of leading the the offense for a bit, at least in the early going in the first half. She kind of slowed down in the second half, and then Zakiah Franklin for the game just kind of was the go-to. Uh, KU had four players in double figures, 14 from Zakiah Franklin, 11 points, 5 rebounds from Holly Kerskeeter, 11 points, 4 steals from Yvette Mayberry, and then the double figures from Tyana Jackson. It wasn't an overly explosive game for the KU offense. Like Washington's defense did come to play in that regard, but yeah. compared well, to what Washington listen, did. They, they hold the opponents to an average of 61 points per game, so they, they did exactly what they normally do. They just didn't score. Yeah. And I mean, there's the difference right there. Points off turnovers. KU led 24 to 10. Yeah. So in a game where where both defenses were good and both defenses did some positive things, 
KU was able to get more of the easy buckets because of the points off turnovers. Yeah, well, now, this is the type of game where, the, the type of opponent where a 10-point lead feels like a 20-point lead, right? Against an opponent that you know struggles to score, that doesn't have a really a go-to scoring option, a reliable scoring option. For Kansas, when they were able to get out to a lead early and it just kept getting bigger and bigger, and at that point you know, okay, this is a team that is not built to make a comeback. So for Kansas, they were able at that point to just kind of keep them at arm's length, play their game, and, and coast to an easy win. Yes. And so, I mean, even if you did take the, the points off turnovers away, they still win by – because they won 61-36. to 36. So, like, even at that point, or um, if you take away the plus 14, you still win by double figures. Yeah. I think it's just clear that – because sometimes when teams play – and and I think this applies for bowl games that are not, like, New Year's Six Bowls, or even, I guess, nowadays, even – you know, New Year's Six Bowls, this happens. But you see players opt out, or more more than anything, it's just the, the checking out, right? Whether it's sure, bowl yeah. games or if it's, like, the non-NCAA tournament. Um, you'll just see certain players at this point in time, they check out. Because they're like, well, what are we really doing this for? And I think what you've seen from Kansas is you give them credit, you give the program credit, you give Brandon Schneider credit, you give the players credit for not letting it impact them negatively to a point where they were just not going to make this matter. Yes. And yes, of course they're upset. Of course they're mad that they didn't make the NCAA tournament. But what better way to prove yourself than by just winning what you have in front of you? Bill Self says it all the time. If you're going to play in it, you might as well win it. Right? Yeah. He says that all the time about like the Big 12 tournament. Yeah. If you're going to play in the NIT, might as well win it. Yeah, even though it's not where you wanted to be. And you're right. I mean, I think there are ev- there's evidence of teams that had expectations for the NCAA tournament, they don't make it, and then they just kind of flame out. Or in the, in the case of, like, North Carolina, they just don't even play, right? Like, on the men's side, you know? So it, it, that is a lot of credit to, to KU to, for making this run and and making it matter for their players and, and, and really getting the fans involved, right? I, I, the fan mm-hmm. support, I think, has been really great as well for KU on this run, and they're going to have another chance to support KU at home again on Saturday. So, yeah, that, that part of it is really cool. And the other thing for KU, I think, is... Kind of similarly to the men, this is a team that relies pretty heavily on their starters. They only went, I think, eight deep in a game where they won by almost 30, right? So they rely pretty heavily on their starters, and four of their starters scored in double figures against Washington. That's generally going to be a recipe for success. Yep, absolutely. Uh, so now the game on, on Saturday, Columbia 28-5. and It's a good team. Uh, you look at some of the teams they beat on the season, some of the teams they lost to, too. Lost to Vanderbilt by 11 uh, they lost to Iowa State, who Kansas defeated by 23 points. They also beat Miami by seven on the road. That's a Miami yeah, team that made a, the Elite Eight. Yeah, that's a team that made a tournament run and beat a one seed. Yeah, and, and then it's, uh, obviously play the Ivy League and everything. As part of their uh, WNIT run, took down Fairleigh Dickinson. Um, they took down Fordham. They took down Syracuse, Harvard, and then Bowling Green. So not a ton of Power 5 talent, but again, you look at that Miami win and you're like, well... Steam won 28 games. You don't get there by accident. So this will yeah. be a tough game. Uh, it's at 4.30 on Saturday. Pre-game will start at 4.15 on KLWN. And if you want to go to the game, we've got four packs of tickets. We're giving them away. Second chance to win right now. Give us a call. 785-843-1321. That's 785-843-1321. Give us a call to win a four-pack of tickets to the KU Women's Basketball Game on Saturday. We'll be back after this timeout with Florida Man Mad Libs. This is RCST. 
This is a Rock Chalk Sports Talk News Alert. Office say this man sold crack to an undercover police officer all while wearing a shirt that said Coke on it. Ever wondered just how crazy headlines can get? And now the Broward Sheriff's Office is looking into this one. So if you recognize the defecating deviant dropping deuces on driveways, give Broward Crime Stoppers a call. Our headline experts have you covered. 42-year-old man was arrested for riding his bicycle on the front lawn of a Naples home and telling a woman inside he was an FBI agent. This is Florida Man Matt Lives with Derek Johnson, Nick Springer, and Sam Speck on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Welcome back in. Florida Man Mad Libs. This is RCST with Nick Springer and Derek Johnson, joined once again by Sam Speck. That's right. Welcome back, boys. We are here for week two, season three of year number one. I know that's a lot of numbers to get a hold of, but uh, Nick last week, round of applause, two to one. It was a low-scoring week, but though, boys. So, uh, again, here is how it works. Florida Man Mad Libs, we are back currently right now. Nick is, uh, or excuse me, Derek, I believe, is in that. No, Nick is in the league. Uh. No, Derek is. That's Derek correct. Is Two to one, but it was close. That's right. I'm sorry. I'm get I'm getting jumbled up. Derek. It's all good. In fact, we got the standings right here. There it is. Two to one in the standings. Derek is on it, and here is week number two. Here's how it works. So we've got four different headlines for you. Three of them will be different, but the first one's going to have one redacted phrase, and then I'm going to give you three different options as to what to pick into that phrase. So... Your creation and your imagination is going to be running today. Now, in the next three, there's going to be two redacted phrases, but we'll get to that as we move forward. So, yep. uh, again, congratulations to you, Nick, for uh, Derek last week. But, Derek, again, if you, you just want to take a glance over to the right right there. No. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, Yankees, Yankees over the Giants, 5 nothing. Yeah. Uh, well, let's go Royals here. It's opening day. So, But I digress. Let's get into it. Florida Man Mad Libs, are you boys ready? Let's do it. Yes. All righty. As I had mentioned, this is a completely legitimate headline. If you'd like to look it up, you can. And we encourage you to play at home as well. Keep your own score. But here it is. Only one redacted phrase. Florida man uses blank to steal candles. <laughs> okay. And just to be clear, I will be continually doing a random. But instead of the number generator, I have a die. So if Ooh. I roll a one or two, that's option one. Three or four is option two. Five or six is option three. Ooh. Oh, I see how you yep. broke that up then. Okay, Ooh. so you're breaking it up with that. But again, here are your three. Florida man uses either his stepson to steal candles, a bear repellent, or a salmon. Okay. So of these three, <laughs> again. Four, so option two. Stepson. Okay. Bear repellent or salmon. I... In my mind, when I first heard the headline, I was thinking like, "Oh, he uses like, you know, uh, something to like a like a wheelbarrow or like a cart or like something to actually help him steal the candles." But what does a bear repellent do to help you steal candles? It's what like, does salmon do to help you steal candles? It's like, well, bear repellent's like mace. You got to keep that in mind. So you could definitely. So he's like uh, gonna mace the store worker that tries uh, to stop it. Potentially, him? potentially, we don't know. We don't like, know what the what, headline I, is, but. And then we, imagine what? getting smacked with a fish. That would probably take I mean, somebody's... What is, I mean, what is going on here? I don't understand. <laughs> so again, Florida man uses either his stepson, bear repellent, or a salmon to steal candy. Yes, I got option number so two, so I'm going with bear, bear repellent. Uh, yep. Derek's locking in with bear repellent. Okay. Nick, what do you think? Dude, I'm going to... I'm gonna. It's Florida, so I'm going to go with salmon. Why would, a, why, would a, why would a Florida man have bear repellent? Do they have bears in... They have bears in They probably in have black Florida? bears. Black bears probably, are pretty yeah, common. Yeah, I think black bears, yeah. yeah. 
They're pretty common. That doesn't fit my narrative. But black bears, black bears are primarily non-aggressive, so salmon. It's kind of odd that he might just have that on hand with him. But here it is, full unredacted. Florida man uses a bear repellent to steal candles. Uh-huh. So quite literally, Damn. basically using mace to steal candles out of a like a Yankee candle or, or out Job of a Coles. That's literally so dumb. Uh, or out of a Coles or something like that. So I, okay, Florida men are so dumb. They're just idiots. It's ridiculous. Well, and here's this too. I I might in the and in the upcoming weeks I might start jumbling the numbers here, but I'll I'll stick with your game of of chance. What do you mean jumbling the numbers? Yeah, it doesn't because, matter what you do. Because, it doesn't matter what. Yeah, but, so if you go with the first, okay, I see what you mean. So the first one, the first order that I said, that's the one that you put it on. Yeah. For so your it chance. doesn't matter okay. what you. It doesn't matter. That's what, what it is. Okay, Florida yeah. man busted for, uh, it's a verb, blanking his twin brother's blank. So we'll get back to the first one here again. Now in the second round, this is worth three points in total if you get the whole unredacted headline correct, but one point available here on this first one. Florida man busted for either stealing, slapping, or crashing his twin brother's blank. Okay. Roll the three, so option number two again. Okay. I don't think it's stealing. I think it's either crashing or what's the other option? Slapping. Uh, slapping. So it was okay. stealing, crashing, Here's the deal. Like, slapping. What do twin brothers do? They do stupid stuff with each other's stuff, right? So like either he steal, he stole something of his twin brothers and crashed it, or he slapped him because that's just what twin brothers do, right? Those are the two best options, I think. I'm going to go with crashing. We're going to go both with crashing because that was the second oh, option yeah, there. You were yep. locked in there. That's, so both Derek and Nick locked in on crashing. Florida man busted for either stealing, crashing, slapping his twin brother's identity, tractor, or his mule. <laughs> Number four, option two again. Wow. Oh, so his tractor. So tractor. he was tractor. crashing his tractor. Hey, that kind of makes sense. Yeah, yeah. there. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, again, I you mean, crash a mule? I think well, that's what I was going to ask you. I, I think you... I think you can. You, you can just slap a mule. You would kill the mule. I don't know. <laughs> Not necessarily. Like if you ride the mule and then you crash into another mule or you crash into something mule, else. Like how mule fast damage. is a mule going? I think you have to Mules going. can go pretty quick. Can they? Yeah, I, would, I, I, would, I would estimate under 20 miles an hour. And also, I, I, will, I, will say you, I will tell you this. It, the headline does not clarify that the a man mule can travel at speeds up to 15 miles There we go. Okay, okay, but the headline so does not crash. clarify that the guy was riding the mule. True. Okay. It could have been you know slapping, crashing, so or So he could have been doing something else that caused the mule to crash. Okay. Hey, hey if you want to pick mule, go for it. Uh, Derek's locked in on tractor. Yeah. So again, for you, I feel identity, like because tractor, I picked crashing, I have to pick tractor. So tractor it is. So you guys are actually on the same one. Copycat. And the house wins on this one. And here's the even bigger irony, because this is kind of a funny story when you actually read it. Okay. Florida man busted for stealing his own twin brother's identity. His oh, twin he stole his identity? brother's identity with his okay. ID card. Yeah, that's so interesting. Somebody, yeah, I mean, it, I like that's very doable. Day, his information yeah. is uh, very different, but they might look I've the same. I've seen stories of like people bit, who send their twins in to take tests for them, like at school and stuff. I was the one who told you that. So I, I, I think oh, I've told this before tell on the, the station. Um, we had this this pair of twins at my high school, and if they if there were two tests in the same day, 
on like the classes they were taking. One of them would study for one of the tests. One of them would study for the other one and they would just go in for each other and take basically divvied it out so that one was the expert at one and one was the other. Hey man, oh, don't hate the yeah. game or don't hate the player, hate the game at yeah, the same is, time. So all probably, right, so nobody know. coming away with the <laughs> point except not. for the house there well, on the first one. Some, they got a big scholarship at some college. I don't know. They're probably yeah. like, oh. <laughs> doing like very uh, important I stuff. I doubt they're in the doing world. that in yeah. the same regard now, but at the end of the day, house with a point here today. Nobody there, but let's get to the second round here of the again potentially three points that you can possibly get. This is actually one of my favorite ones that I have found in a long time. So, Florida man driving a car with blank blames it on blank. So, we'll get to the second redacted word here momentarily, but a Florida man driving a car with either two missing tires, okay. an ostrich, Ooh. or 200 pounds of cocaine blames it on blank. <laughs> It's funny because 200 pounds of cocaine is like a very large amount of cocaine, but like that's yeah. the non-sexy answer here. No, the ostrich. Weird. Ostrich. Ostrich is the sexy. How do you get an ostrich? Uh, how do you get an ostrich in a car? <laughs> that's what I'm saying. That's why it's the sexy answer because it's fun. It's like, like how you would you have to have a sunroof yeah, or like an open roof or something. Let's right? See. I says it is uh, option number one, which okay. is the two tires. Two tires. Okay, so see, that's, going sec- with tires. that's kind of a sexy answer too, right? Yeah, like, of course it is. It's pretty bold. Like, with two driving tires? with two tires? What? How is this, this possible? Flintstones? <laughs> like, what are we doing? I don't know. All right, so again, either two missing wow, tires, an ostrich, or 200 pounds of cocaine. This is three really intriguing answers. I think I'm going to go with... I mean, if ostrich is there, you got to take ostrich. I'm going with ostrich. It is. The 200 pounds of cocaine is the like the maybe the most obvious one. Yeah, the yeah, most logical Florida man. Yeah, as it but is. sometimes right. he goes logic, sometimes he doesn't. So <laughs> exactly. it's, it's impossible to know. So Nick is locking in on the Nick is locking in on the big dinosaur bird. But again, Florida man driving a car with either two missing tires, an ostrich, or 200 pounds of cocaine blames it on paranormal activity, luck, or his wife. So there is your okay. three options Man, on the second. Three so again, other three more really good options. Luck and or mm-hmm. his wife. See, okay, the luck three. would go with the cocaine one. You think so? He's like saying. No, I think I think wife. A lot the of luck money. does not. No, no, I think multiple can go with the cocaine one. But I'm saying like, if you pick luck, you would have had to thought the first one was cocaine. Not it's, necessarily. The luck does not go with the ostrich. Yes, it, it could. It no, goes it with not. two. No, it could easily back. go with. It could easily go with ostrich. And I'll tell you. I'll tell you. Six. It's number three. Uh, I'll so tell you why. So Derek, I'll right? tell you why luck can go with ostrich. <laughs> this guy has his car. This is this is this might be what he claims. I'm not saying this is true, but if he's blaming it on luck, what he would say is, "Oh, I was just driving or whatever, and then Stop. the ostrich got in my car." <laughs> no, no. Here's how he could have done it for if he gets pulled over by a cop and the cops like, "Hey, you have 200 pounds of cocaine." He's like, "I just rented this car. That is dumb luck." Right? Yes, 100. percent I agree with you that. You cannot be like, "I walked into the car and Dude, I didn't see the listen, ostrich." Have you watched Cops? There's been so many dumb, even way dumber excuses for that. I guess this that. is Florida, man. Okay? Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's yeah. so very plausible you that the guy would be like, you can't hey, man, out. I got in my car. The ostrich was already in the car. I didn't know what so to Nick, do. Are so, you I lo- just, are you locking just, in with luck, I'm, then? I'm just, is that what you're kind no, of No, I'm just or? sounding things out right now. What was the first, an- the first uh, option? It, paranormal activity. See, paranormal activity could be an answer, too. Luck for ostrich. or his wife. Yeah. Because well, he could be like, the ostrich is actually like, you know... It's it's been reincarnated as my <laughs> as my grandfather or something. So he's driving around. He, he thinks he's driving around I his grandpa. I love to okay. follow these rabbit holes. But again, Derek okay. locked in with his wife. That's where he's going. I'm at. gonna uh, pick luck. So Nick's gonna go with again, luck here. I think this is what he would blame it on, which is what the headline. Is. I think it could be cocaine and luck. 
but yeah, yeah well and again it's pretty lucky to get as far as he did without two tires because that was actually the first one Derek you got the first point Florida man okay. driving a car with two missing tires blames it on paranormal activity mm. so <laughs> ghost uh, stole his tires somehow yeah. he's all of a sudden not driving on wheels anymore but uh yeah what? Uh, again that's one of my favorite ones because i, I don't down better. the same the same rabbit no, hole I like that you guys did with better, how wrong. he just came across an ostrich and <laughs> oh i love no, it no 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 the right. ostrich came across his oh car. that's right okay yeah so here we go final round of again potentially three do points i have a here. single point you no, don't but Derek only has two I, so I we're suck. still we're still we're still in the realm of you being yeah able. i don't even know that the random thing is doing well i think you're just not doing well <laughs> I think i'm just bad yeah. i think nick is just struggling here yeah, I think the I'm first just couple bad. weeks all yeah. right so here it is florida man damages blank because he couldn't find blank or his blank i guess i should say i should write that in there so florida man damages blank because he couldn't find his blank so we'll get to the first one here okay florida man damages parked cars a storefront or his neighbor's yard because he couldn't find his blank all right it is option number one for me so you're going parked cars there for derek okay so parked cars storefront or neighbor's yard what are you thinking here We've had I a lot of neighbor ones. It could be ones. parked cars. I'm not going to go with that, or I might. I don't know. I'm thinking. I'm. I'm sounding things out in my head or out loud. The reason I think it'd be parked cars is because let's say this guy, like he, he's in. A, he went into somewhere and he can't find his car. So like he's just so like he like he parked somewhere and he can't remember where he parked. And he's so mad that he just starts beating up other cars around the parking lot because he can't sense. find his car. Okay, you know what I'm saying. Are you? Are that you could be it. Is that a logical thing to do? You're is like, anything logical it, about it, anything, this game? Yeah, exactly. I can't find my car. You know what's going to help me find my car? If They're I'm smashing it. Have you not figured out what we're dealing with here? We're dealing with Florida men or any random idiots. Okay? The, There's yeah. no... You, you you can't apply Logic. any logical thinking to okay. these answers. Okay? Okay, so again, right, so cars, storefront, or neighbor's yard. So a storefront is storefront, big, yeah. big, you know, it's basic. Neighbor's I mean, yard is something that we've had often. Yard. And then parked cars, again. I'm trying to think why he would damage his neighbor. Like, unless he, maybe he thought his neighbor stole something and buried it in his yard. So he goes <laughs> and digs up his yard. It's yeah. like, I know you stole something from me. But I don't, uh, I don't know. I, I guess I'm going to go with parked cars. Okay, parked cars. So you guys are both locking in at parked cars there. And I'm going to keep this now, once again, redacted until we get to the second word. Florida man damages either parked cars, storefront, or neighbor's yard because he couldn't find his wallet, his own vehicle, or his hey, dog. What did I tell you? All right, his wallet it is. That was the first option. I'm right? going with own vehicle because I already, I already, I already sounded out that possibility. So that's what I'm going. I'm trying to think with the wallet one. You lock it. I mean, I mean, maybe he dropped it at his neighbor's house or something, or again, some kind of dispute or yeah. I think that at a storefront the, or the dog would go with the neighbor's yard. I think something like that. Well, here it is, and with the comeback win, Florida man wow. damages parked cars because he couldn't find his own vehicle. Nick, Bang! Let's go. Three spots. He did not let's win. Go. He tied. No, you only had two points. Yeah, uh, then I got one. That. I had parked car. Oh, you did. Hey, okay, yeah. sorry. I, I'm I sorry, Nick. I, the I fact got, that I, I got everybody, I, I don't even care. Pumped the up. fact That's that I right. got came back and tied, I'm happy with that. That's okay. right. But uh, in terms of aggregate points, Derek will wow. still remain one absolutely, point in the lead. I absolutely nailed that headline. You do, and, and I, you were Derek. You were like, "Oh, that, that can't be it." You should have seen the headline on my 
my face when you said it. I was like, oh my gosh. Like, he he actually knows. Well, that can't right, be it. So That's not now, logical. We've got the house questions. So what do we got? All right, here's the house questions. Derek so is going to now attempt to stump Sam with a headline of And he's done a, a we have good a, job. A of Kansas that, man. Oh. Okay. Kansas man stumbles on blank while searching for blank. It's <laughs> a rather wide. Right. So Kansas man stumbles on blank while searching for blank. Option number one for the first one. Kansas man stumbles on hidden treasure. Okay. Human skeleton. Oh. Human hand. Oh. I'm searching for blank. I'm going skeleton. You know, I mean, I just feel like this is one of those things, one of those times to where it's got to be so outlandish that it's got to be a hand, right? Like, so I'm going to, I'm just going to do that because there's a lot of, uh, you know, why would this be newsworthy if they come across? Uh, what was the first option again? You hidden said, treasure, hidden treasure, human okay. skeleton, and human hand. People are, I mean, actively doing that. They do it in Colorado as well with fossilization and stuff like that. I'm gonna go with hand. We're gonna go. We're gonna go left field here. Right, so you're going hand. He's going skeleton. Skeleton. skeleton, or maybe right field. There you I go. I mean, on the oh, maybe yeah. center. All right, uh, Kansas <laughs> man stumbles on blank while searching for deer antlers, Mister Potato Head, oh, and God. meaning of life. What? Oh God! These all. I said potato weird. I said a potato. Okay, I think it's potatoes. Potatoes. <laughs> Mr. I don't potato know head. why he would be searching for deer antlers. I'm just trying to find but how I bring left hand into this. Like, there's like, probably some Kansas guys that go out and search for deer antlers. The reason I think it's deer antlers is because that's close enough to a skeleton. So, like, he he's out looking for deer antlers, and he finds some bones, but and he thought they were deer antlers but it turns out it's a skeleton so we'll go with deer antlers that actually does sound about the most logistical way that m might happen here right? but I, i'm actually going to hedge my bets here because we had a we had a different decision in the first round but i think again he was out looking for you know something yeah, no 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 the, the the deer antlers and um again there's a lot of going people that salvage antlers. though so i'm going okay. with the deer antlers as well what's okay. the what's the kansas pull? man stumbles on human skeleton while searching for Mr. Potato Head. Oh. No, I'm just joking. While searching for deer antlers. There we go. Yeah. Bang. That was a hot finish for you, Nick. Oh, Nick. Yeah, I, I got nailing it. it. At least I got eight. I warmed point. up late. Yeah, you did. I really would have wished that it was Mr. Potato Head there. But at the same time, thank you, boys. There it is. A tie on this week. We'll see you next Wednesday. It's Florida Man Mad Libs. Derek, Nick, thanks so much for including me in your fun. We'll see you Absolutely. next time. Absolutely. That's you. Sam Spack with Nick Springer, Derek Johnson. This is RCST on KLWN. Depend on it. Thanks for listening to the Best of RCST podcast. And a reminder, you can catch our show Monday through Friday from 3 to 6 live on KLWN in Lawrence, 101.7 FM, 1320 AM, or anywhere you're online at klwn.com or the KLWN app. Thanks for listening.